Hey guys, welcome back to Keeping It Simple. This is Luis Sanchez. I'm here with my co-host. Hey, I'm Scott Callentine. Welcome to the episode. Let's get started. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Keeping It Simple. Today, we have a new friend of the Simple Church Collective, Atanasio, with us. Uh, If you're new to the podcast, uh, our podcast focuses on two things, micro-expressions of the church and leadership development. So, Atanasio, before we get started, right, first of all, thanks for making time for us. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to these days. Yeah, so my name's, full name's Atanasio Segovia, Atanasio Delgado Segovia, depending on the context. But what am I up to these days? I am with my family in Querétaro, Mexico. Querétaro, kind of hard, hard to pronounce. But it's smack in the center of Mexico, historical city. Uh, I'm a church planter here along with uh, uh, four other guys. So we planted a church a year ago. Its name is Asoma Querétaro. I'm also the director of Familia Soma for basically Soma Latin America uh, and the Spanish expression of, of the family of churches for Soma. Uh, so my work consists of understanding, you know, what does, what does a church look like in our context? How do we serve and equip and uh, develop future leaders in, in the Latino context? So I'm busy. Uh, I have a wife, uh, two boys. So right now we're also very busy trying to figure out what does school look like in COVID, online, not online, and all those good things. Yeah, thank you for joining us on this episode of Keeping It Simple. We're excited to have you. Uh, for you listeners out there, Antanasio is a friend of Jeff Vanderselt, who we had in season one. We look forward to having him again in season two, but just to kind of bridge some connection. And Soma is the organization, the family of churches that, that Jeff works with some. And so you also work with that and you know Jeff could you maybe explain to us about some of your connection with Soma and how that has impacted the work that you're doing uh, in Mexico? Yeah, so um, I came to faith a while ago, um, but I grew up in the United States in the Bay Area. So when I came to faith, um, I found myself in a weird spot because I'm Mexican, but I grew up primarily in the States. So we have a saying, ni de aquí, ni de allá, not neither from here nor there. But one of the things that I realized while reading the scriptures, I came to faith through to reading the scriptures by myself. Obviously, it was the Holy Spirit who like, like uh, guided me and con- con- convicted me of my own sin and my own, my own need for Jesus. But when I started reading scripture, especially like the book of Acts, I grew up in a Catholic uh, context, but when I read the book of Acts, I made the assumption that church would look like that. So when I first visited, like, a, I'm going to call it a, you know, the institutional church, I expected uh, basically someone to be like, hey, a baby Christian. And next thing you know, I expected people to bring me into their house and disciple me and stuff like that. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but in my story, that didn't happen. Um, I, there's a lot of things that happened, good things. Um, I started going to classes, uh, prayer meetings, all the good stuff. But for me, being a Latino, I was like, community is kind of baked into my blood, into my DNA, right? Like, that's just something that, that by God's grace, we still have. So when I looked at scripture, it was through that lens, like community jumped out a lot. And at le- in my experience, I felt that it was lacking. It was weird because I was like, this feels like school and it's cool. But it doesn't feel like community. 
So what are that, how does that tie into Soma? Um, I once saw a video, um, older video of Soma, and you know, I think it was another organization created it, Verge perhaps. But it, was, it looked like everyday disciples on mission, sharing meals, being on mission together. And that togetherness made sense to me. It's what I expected. So that video kind of like gave me an image of what I was looking for. What was in my head, it gave me a language. So I was like, I really want to be part of that. God opened a bunch of doors through a series of conversations and meetings and stuff like that, where I ended up going through SOMA, through the uh, SOMA sending, the church planting um, program. And I was like, I feel like this is the right way to do church in my context, in the Latino context, mm -hmm. because we're so centered in the community. And then God opened up doors so that I ended up working for SOMA as well. So that's, uh, I, that's about seven years condensed into a few minutes. That's awesome. Tell just so our, for our listeners that are not familiar with Soma, what is Soma? What is Soma? So we're a family of churches, right? First and foremost, but I think what sets us apart is our ecclesiology. We we believe we make disciples in the stuff of everyday life, right? So what does that look like? We we share life on life together, right? We share mission together. So for example, you know, we're not knocking on doors or anything like that, but we're making disciples and what we call normal rhythms when we eat, when we play and things like that. Um, so we share life, we share mission, and, and we basically share uh, serving each other as well. So basically we, it, it's, we focus heavily on what does it look like to be the church in everyday life, more than an event, more than a, than a building. Mm -hmm. So we, we pull out our, there's a saying in Spanish, carne en el asador, like when you put all of the meat on the grill, well, we, we do that in, in everyday life uh, everyday uh, discipleship because we, we truly believe we are the church right the church is a people right so yeah. we we believe look what does that look like empowering and equipping the saints in everyday life so that's what so is it's a family of churches with a heavy emphasis on living out everyday uh, discipleship yeah so when where the rubber meets the road it's about community and disciple making disciple making yep yeah. and that entails like you know everyday missionaries we believe that everyone's a missionary um yep. we're witnesses of jesus right in everywhere judea samaria and and the ends of the world you know our costco and our schools and you know everywhere else so let me ask you this um Adanasio, what are some of the major differences between the context that you're in currently and the context that you grew up in in the u.s and and, and then maybe at, on the tail end of that maybe what are some of the similarities but i'd love to kind of explore some of those differences yeah, I would say that the main difference, if I just continue to talk about community for a second, is that for a lot of reasons, I think at least what I experienced in the U.S., in, in, in the Bay Area, is that because people move so much and you're talking about like generations of people just kind of moving a lot, right, moving for, for different reasons, for jobs and things like that, uh, the sense of community was lost. So, for example... Uh, one of the things I noticed was that when Americans talk about family, they think nuclear, right? Mom, dad, two and a half kids, I think it is, like the average. <laughs> so it's, it's very like tiny. Um, it's a small world, a small cocoon. So for me, that's, that's different. So when I, when I think of family in the States, when I think of community, it, it's almost like it was lost from what it was. So in a way, I feel like one of the things now talking about the church context, it seems like uh, the church is trying to 
relearn how to do community, something that was lost. That's my sense. So in my context now in Mexico, community is baked in. Like we don't move as much in Mexico compared to the United States. Family and community are super important, right? Like um, I'll give you an example. Uh, Americans are very individualistic, right? Like you do what's right because of you. Like it's you, 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 right? What's good for me. And that's just culture and all kinds of reasons. So your identity is based on yourself. For a Mexican, generalizing, our identity is wrapped up, wrapped up around family, extended family, grandpa, grandma, aunts, uncles, they're all family. So like, you're not you, you're not complete unless you're part of a whole, unless you're part of something bigger, right? So I think community is still baked into, into the Mexican culture, at least in my context. But one of the challenges that I see now for the church here is that we're not trying to recreate community, but rather we're trying to uh, root it and ground it in Christ himself. Because I would argue our community is kind of shallow. What I mean by shallow is not based on Christ, right? So there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that. But so for the church in Mexico, in my context, I would say, what does it look like to center our community in Christ in the United States? Is What does it look like to recreate community in Christ? So two different things, uh, two different perspectives. But what do we share? Christ, man, uh, we share that in common. We share that need for community, right? That That's still part of our design. That's still part of what God gave us since the Garden of Eden community. So I think we have a lot of similarities in terms of what do we need to work on? I think that's what what's slightly different. Does that answer your question? Dude, thanks. Thank you. Mm. So you've talked about, you've emphasized community as a big, big deal, right? Like, obviously, and none of us that are listening to this are probably mostly in the States, mostly in the Pacific Northwest, because that's where we're located. That's our context. Um, and it's a fairly individualistic context, for sure, in a very post-Christian context. I wouldn't necessarily go as far as anti-Christian, but it's post-Christian. And so that's different than your context, like for sure. And there's a lot of historical backgrounds to why there's differences. But in the spirit of community and the, the knowing your context better than we do, what does disciple making look like for you? Like very practically, what does disciple making look like? Um, how do people go from a place of unbeliever to disciple maker? Like for us, we have a lot of people that would be spiritually interested or spiritually inclined. They're, they're open mm -hmm. to spiritual conversations. And so yeah. that door might be looking different and starting that process to come from unbeliever to disciple maker. What does that look like for you? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so I'll start off with what I think of discipleship, what I would, I would find it. And that's kind of like, submitting uh, all of our life, every, all, everything, all of what we do to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, right? Like being able to see him more and more. Um, so that looks, that looks like from the way I drive to the way I share meals to the way I interact with my kids, you know, um, teachers. But how does someone go from, not, from, you know, not following Jesus to a disciple maker, right? Is that what you asked? Yeah. And in my context, for example, it's community once again, right? Um, people open their doors to each other very easily here. So what does it look like for us to do that is to create 
and look for neutral environments. So it's much easier for me to say to someone, hey, do you want to go eat some tacos or gorditas, which is kind of like a main thing people eat here, uh, and then be able to share life and be able to demonstrate what does it look like to follow Jesus when we eat tacos? Sounds kind of weird, but it's like there is a way to do that, right? It's the oh, way. It we, sounds we, like even, a good day, is what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, welcome to come down here and experience it. But the point being is that we look for those neutral spaces so people get a small glimpse of what does it look like to be part of the family of God before they're part of the family of God, should God call them. So we create those neutral spaces little by little that builds relational trust, almost like relational currency. And then because we are already sharing everyday life, um, people are open to more questions, more comments. And there's someone in, in our church right now who he considers himself to, to be an unbeliever, but he's spending more and more of his time with us now. Uh, he's spending, he, last week, as a matter of fact, he opened up his house, at least to me for the first time. And we had uh, cafe, de, cafe and, and, and pan de rancho, which is a very specific type of bread here. And we were talking about... Um, the Bible and, and, you know, how did we end up a wreck and things like that? And how is Jesus going to solve that? But it was all very natural. So I would say to answer your, your, the question, spending a lot of time in neutral spaces, sharing uh, community, and hopefully little by little begin to build that, that relationship in Christ himself. Yeah, dude, thank you so much, man. So you mentioned that you were the director for SOMA in Latin America. What is your greatest hope for disciple-making movements in Latin America? It's like a cheat sheet. It's, it's like a, the simple answer is Christ himself, right? Uh, easy answer, difficult to answer in the sense that my greatest hope is that people will fall in love with Jesus. They will fall in love with, with the book that talks about him, that they would fall in love with his church, the way he defines it. Because I think if that's, if that's there, everything else will fall into place, right? Systems and structures and how we do things and how we disciple people rather than focusing on the programs and the systems that will enable us to do that. I think those things will, be, will simply come out of being in love with Christ and what he has done. So my greatest hope is that, that people would be able to, to see Christ more but also, like, I'm going to argue this. It's like the complete Christ. For example, in the States, not trying to, you know, like be super critical or anything, but it's like Jesus and me, my individual salvation. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But guess what? He puts you into a community, his church, which he loves. And like, that's a bit, it's not perfect, far from it. But man, that's where we grow together. And guess what? He's reconciling all things to himself, right? So we're not just kind of like waiting for him to return. And like, you know, hunker down somewhere. It's like, no, no, we participate on mission with them. So my greatest hope is for people to fall in love with Christ, but be able to like join him on mission in Latin America and make disciples of Christ because he cares about everyone, right? He cares about because all things are created by him and through him and for him. So my greatest hope is that people will be able to see him like that, like that he cares about Latin America as much as he cares, say, for Europe and the States. Mm -hmm. It's good stuff, man. That's beautiful. And yet, I mean, Jesus cares about all of creation, right? So it's not, there's right. no hierarchy. Um, if you believe that, check yourself. There's no hierarchy to Jesus' love, you know, for people and communities. Um, obviously, I'd say 
there's a traditional or use the word institutional structure of church that dominates much of the West, most of the Western world. Um, it's, the, it's the service orders, the services, the planning. I'm not saying any of that's inherently bad, um, but it is the predominant structure. So when you, you're in Mexico and you're, you're talking about micro churches or we call them simple churches, some people call house churches or missional communities. How do you approach that topic with people that, you know, are much more of a traditional mindset and do they refute you? Do they, do they even say like, man, that's not even real church or that's not what church is like, or how do you approach that, that conversation uh, from, from one end of the spectrum into micro churches? Um, yeah. In your context. So I, I think yeah, it's going back to scripture, right? Because one of the things is I would argue we, when we think of church, it, it's more like the tradition, right? Like, and what does that go to? The visible components, nothing wrong with it, but it's like, especially in our context, dude, the church is where Jesus lives because, you know, it's those temples down the street. He literally lives there. So we go back to scripture, right? And look at it and be like, yo, like churches gathered and scattered, right? It's not a place. So yes, it's beautiful to gather on Sundays, right? Like in Acts, I think eleven twenty six, 26, it talks about that, right? Um, the people gather together for very specific things. And that was a church, but also the church is scattered, right? The apostle Paul talks about the church in such and such place. I think in Revelation, it talks about the church in such and such place. At that point, they're not talking about um, the church simply gathered on a Sunday or an event. So I think it's going back to scripture and, and, and realizing that the church is not a form. That's more a context so going back to scripture and then being like, okay, we understand why we do it. We understand that in some cultural context, we can have a building. We can have a large church. We can have what we would call a church, but that's not the standard or the definition of church. Scripture gives us the definition of church and it's God's people. So from that perspective, I would go there. I would also argue historically, right? One of the things that the early Christians got uh, persecuted for one of the many reasons was that they didn't have temples so they were called atheists right the irony of that um but it was or like say if you think about north korea right now like would we say to our north korean brothers that can't gather officially the way we do in the west you're not a real church until you do what we do so i think is accepting the fact that god defines a church and the way that's expressed out really depends on our context yeah. sorry i said a lot there but no that's good hey listen so i grew up in the latin american church albeit in the united states i grew up in new york i grew up in a in a, in a independent uh, you know kind of uh, church on long island and um when we switched lanes uh when we went from like you know the predominant model to you know exploring uh uh the micro expressions of the church my mom had a lot of questions and even till today, my mom has a lot of questions. And so she's still a part of like, you know, that, you know, the predominant model. And this must have been like six weeks ago. She goes, maybe even less, like four weeks ago. She goes, Luis, what did you do to the church? You know, she's like, <laughs> because in her mind, right, like a church has to have like three songs, you know, a sermon you pick up the offering and you either do the announcements at the beginning or the end, right? In our church mm -hmm. back home, we used to do the announcements at the end because everybody was already there because, you know, Latin American folks be late to church, right? And so <laughs> right. and so you can't do the announcements on the front end. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so we run on Kairos. That's right. That's right. And so, and so I mean, just that, like my mom's like, what did you do to the church? I'm like, well, we are the church, right? And what we're doing is we're focusing on disciple making, right? And so we're sharing the, the gospel where we're living, um, trying to be faithful in, 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 on mission and live together on mission. We're encouraging one another in love. Like that's what we see that the church is, right? We don't have a building right? We, it's not a brick and mortar space. But what we do have is the call that uh, Jesus has given us. And we ha- we're working towards establishing those irreducible minimums in each one of our spaces so that we could be the church as we see it in the book of Acts and in the first century. Worship, making Jesus central, community, being authentically in each other's lives, breaking bread with one another, mission, mm-hmm hanging out and knowing who you're called to reach, right? And then leadership development, growing in disciples, making in your own discipleship and in disciple making. And so my mom, just thinking about that in Latin America, I'm like, what'd you do to the church? Luis, what'd you do to the church, right? Because I'm not preaching on from a pulpit every Sunday like I used to, right? And so like, hey, are you still being faithful? Her question is like, hey, that's not real church. Like what you guys are doing is not necessarily real church. So, so um, let me ask you this question, kind of switching gears a little bit, but man, we are in the American context. We're in the West. You guys are in the West too, but what's one thing that American folks can learn from Mexican folks when it comes to disciple making? What's one thing that folks here in the States can learn from Mexican folks when it comes to disciple making? thing that's that's a tough one okay so i'll start off with this one dude um you can give us more than one too if we need to learn more like yeah i'll I'll start off with this one dude and i i grew up in both both contexts but i grew up in the u.s context but then i see it here but one thing i think that the u.s can learn generalizing from from the mexican context at least lots of latin american context as well is uh i i would argue we, we probably there's more, I've seen more dependence on prayer because we lack resources. It's not like mm. extreme poverty or anything, but we don't like compared to the States, we don't have the luxury of infrastructure and being able to control everything, living in chronos a lot more. So part of that is, is, is seeking God a lot uh, through prayer. I, I think a bit more, I think in the States that's true. I visited a couple of Latino churches and one of the things I realized was that dependence on prayer so that's one, I think, reliance on, on God himself for guidance. I'm not saying the U.S. church is not, but what I'm saying is, like, if you start off your meetings with, like, one minute of prayer or two and, like, 58 minutes exactly of planning, dependence might be more on knowledge and, and resources rather than on God himself. Um, now, I, I want to be clear, I'm not saying that the US church is not led by that, but I think dependence on resources versus seeking God, like, is this really what we should be doing? Because everyone has a difficult time. Apostle Paul himself had a difficult time discerning God's will. Do I need to go here? I want to go here. Oh, but I'm not able to go here. I need to go here. So I think that's one of them. The other one is kind of reevaluating what's important. Um, I think we talked about that earlier off of when we're not recording, but... <sighs> Yeah, like the U.S. church is able to learn, run a lot more on chronos, right? Being able to, to run on systems that were built for them and including church planting and how church works. Uh, 
most of the churches, the general predominant model churches in the U.S. would not work in Mexico. We don't have, try creating a nonprofit in Mexico, good luck. You were not able to, to be a Protestant Christian in Mexico until maybe like a hundred and something years ago. So like the government itself was not built for church planting and, you know, tax deductions and all those things. So I think what can the U.S. learn from, from at least the Mexican church? I think we're very resourceful, but we also have to be dependent a lot more on prayer because we simply do not have access to the same level of resources as the American church or North or U.S. church. Let me ask you this question. It's kind of like before we move on. You've mentioned Kronos and you've mentioned Kairos time. Um, man, can you break that down for us? You know, keep keep that yeah. simple for us. Um, can you can you sure, break man. that down exactly what you mean by that? Sure, man. Uh, what time does service start in most traditional churches? For example, 11 o'clock on the dot, there's a, a, a counter, a, a countdown. That's Kronos time, right? 11 o'clock is 11 o'clock. Kairos is like, when does Latino church start? When everyone is there. We should for 11, but if the key people are not there yet, it might be 11.15, 11.30, right? And we see that in the Bible, right? Like Jesus didn't come on Kronos, he came on Kairos when the time was right. So for us, yeah, I would say that, uh, what does that play out like practically? Say that I'm like, I want to build a discipleship resource in the States. Here's seven weeks. And in seven weeks, you can have a disciple maker. Well, you might, they might have the knowledge. They might have gone through the chronological time, but they might not have the character. The Holy Spirit might not have developed something in there. And I think that's where Cairo comes, Kairos comes in. Is the difference between microwaving a you know, hot pocket in a minute I don't know, roasting a, a chicken. It might take a little bit longer. You, you can't really control it as much. Hopefully that helps clarify it. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. You know, Kronos and Kairos. And Kairos is the time of the Lord, really, right? And like, yeah. what is the time of the Lord? What is, what is happening right now? I know in Latin America, we're a lot more event-focused rather than time, like, you know, that, that Kronos mm -hmm. focus. And so, and, and other cultures in the world are, are, are pretty similar. Um, thank you for sharing uh, with what we here in America could take from you in Latin America and, and learn from. Uh, we, you know, I'm big on learning, being a lifelong learner and continuing to develop and learn. And so thank you for that insight. But from the other side of the coin, what do you think the Latin American church can learn from the North American church or the church in the United States? Good question, because I think God has left knowledge and beauty in each, everywhere, right? Yeah, all of the churches fully reflect them. I think one of them is, uh, honestly, the, the opposite, systems, and, and to run on chronos sometimes. Uh, for example, one of the challenges that I'm having in my church plant, just to give you like a personal story here, is that <laughs> um, we've done a, a okay job at um, creating some leaders, but it's all organic. It was all through relational time, through tacos and drives and talks. So if we were to look back and be like, how did we get here? The answer would be, we don't really know. So what we can't document, we can't really create a process for it, which means we can't really replicate it. We can't, um, yeah, I don't want to say cookie cut, but we don't really have the pattern for it. So I think being a lot more structured and intentional uh, and moving away from that, 
you know, overcorrecting on the relational part. I think we need that. We need a lot more of the structure. We also need a lot more like long-term systems thinking and planning. Um, so that's one. The other one, honestly, it's, it's, it's an area I feel like we need to repent in general, at least from what I've seen. Uh, we tend to be a lot more tribal here in, in, in the Latino context. Mm. And I've seen that in the States as well, right? Like it's more, it kind of feels like, like gang warfare almost like my church, my <laughs> congregation, I won't do anything with you. Um, whereas I see like, <laughs> like, you know, the, the other churches, I'm going to call them primarily, you know, I don't know, Anglo-Saxon churches or Anglo churches. They're really good at collaborating. Um, let me put it this way. There's networks upon networks in the U.S. and nobody cares. Like you can work with, with all kinds of networks. In, the, in Mexico, at least from what I've seen, the concept of a network sounds great, but executing it, man, it's like, no, we need to have a pecking order. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah. Who's going to lead? So there's a lot more tribalism. We can learn from, from, from you guys a lot more how to work together for, for, to expand the kingdom. Kingdom thinking rather than my church or my individualism thinking yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's powerful Man, it seems like god's doing some really cool stuff all over the world and latin america is just one of those places when we think about um renewal and we think about revival and we think about disciple making movements we see that the global south like comes up in that conversation really really um often you know in places mm -hmm. like you know um the majority world you know um it's those those conversations are coming up and sure more places than others right and we you know the, the i would say folks from the latin american context um you know are uniquely created and value community and have a bunch of you know are loyal to a fault almost sometimes oh, you know, yeah. to mm -hmm. our people to our leaders you know yep. um and we have a lot of growing to do um, you know, emotionally, man, I, one of my, one of my things I think, and, and, you know, if you were to ask me, Louise, say like, what is your heart for disciple making in Latin America is that we would grow up in our emotional maturity, right. Mm. And that we would grow up and that we would see that that's on par with our spiritual maturity, mm. right. Because so many of the people in the Latin American church know how to recite the Bible. And that's not, saying that that's not true in the in the American church, right? But so many people in my experience in the Latin American know how to, they go to church, you know, but they live a dualistic life. Like at church, they're one way. And then at home, they're a completely different way. But integrating and removing the dualism, I think, and then people will want to be a part of that. Even when you look at the text and the scriptures, when, when Jesus delivered someone, you know, he'd be like, no, nah, don't follow me. Go back home, right? And then let them see the transformation that is in your life. And that is like our greatest source of evangelism, a life that's changed, a family that's changed. Then people are like, dang, that guy's not like he used to be. He's not angry and grouchy like he was. He's not disrespectful to his family. You know, he's not abusive or her, you know, as, as they used to be. And something happened. I wonder what that was, you know? So I think for me, when I think about Latin America as a Latin American, I think is removing the dualism of like sacred versus secular, right? Like doing church stuff with church people, you're one way, but then when you're outside of that, you are a different way altogether. 
So, but can, can I just zoom in on that one, dude? And I think that that kind of points to a problem in general because, say, like most of the resources and equipping generally that we have is written from a American perspective, right? Translated and and and, and sent. So yeah, like high view of scripture studying, great quoting, but the reality is that in our con- in Latin American context is it was a prime prim- primarily one church and one church only, Roman Catholic, right? Which is like whatever you do during the week, it's all good, man. Just come in on Sundays, you know, like confess and then go take communion and then go, you know, do what you need to do again. So it valued dualism for such a long time that I think even maybe Latino pastors might be a little bit blindsided to that. Like that is part of the culture. But we're not mm-hmm. thinking about it from our perspective as much yet. And few people talking about why we have it, that we might be simply blinded. And that's why we also need, I think, we need uh, brothers and sisters from all over the globe to speak into it because we are going to be blind to those areas. So I'm glad you brought that up and I totally agree, bro. Yeah, bro. Very good. Hey, man, as we begin to land the plane, dude, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Um, if people wanted to know more about you and your work, how, how could they do that? And if they wanted to support your ministry, where could they go? Thanks, man. Um, more information uh, about Soma at wearesoma.com, uh, about Familia Soma, which is a ministry I, I currently lead is wearesoma.com slash Familia Soma. There's some videos there. Uh, there's some more information and there's we're also creating some resources on saturate as well Uh, we have a blog in espanol where we're trying to create not just uh, not just simply translate but create contextualized resources Mm. for the latino church great well thank you so much for joining us one last thing for you if you could impart any last comments last words wisdom insight into our listeners here in the northwest and people that may listen um, in different contexts, what's one last comment you would you would give to people? Jesus is the foundation of all we do, whether it's micro churches, macro churches, traditional, not traditional. Like that is a one thing that will stand the test of time for thousands of years is Christ Himself. So if I were to spend any time of amount energy on anything, it would be building on Christ Himself. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. God bless you, Anastasio. Hey, you guys, thank you so much. Peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Keeping It Simple, where we talk about life and mission in ways that are easy to understand. Stay tuned as we release episodes each Wednesday. We'd appreciate it if you would like, review, share, and subscribe our podcast. Thank you for listening. 